0: Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Uh, thanks for hanging in during all this pandemic craziness. Uh appreciate you, appreciate you listening. And as a reward for your patronage, I'm bringing you a very special guest today. This is uh, Autumn Pruitt of Hardy Coffee Company. Autumn, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So, as a lead-in here, I, I feel like I should use a personal story to kind of explain why... I think you're such an awesome guest, and that is you were kind of my gateway drug into (laughs) coffee, if that makes sense. Um, My wife, Sarah, is a huge, huge coffee fan. I've never really gotten into coffee, not because I didn't like it, but I just never really caught the bug, and Sarah has this specific latte she will get basically everywhere that we go. And she always let me have a sip or something cause she was always hopeful that I would start loving coffee. And I was like, oh, you know, that's good, that's good. And I remember the first time we went to Hardy and she took a sip of her latte and she, like her eyes got wide and then she handed it to me and she's like, yeah, try this. And that was, that was the first time I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I like coffee now, whatever this is, whatever magic wizardry this is, I now like coffee, so I just, at the start of this, I just kind of want to open the mic for you and kind of let you explain what makes Hardy different, what makes Hardy special.
1: Oh, man, Uh, I think everyone will say they're people, but Mm -hmm. I think it's our people for sure. Um, It's so funny that you say that we were your gateway drug, because that's literally something that we talk about behind the scenes, Uh is that we want to be that for lots of people, and so... um, we say that we, we want to be excellent, local, and approachable. And I think that it's pretty easy to lean all the way into excellent that you forget about approachability. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to lean all the way into approachable that you lose touch with excellence. And so we work really hard to to keep all three feet of those uh, that stool on the ground to, to try and attract people in the door and then keep them with the excellent product.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I think your backstory and how Hardy started really kind of plays into that philosophy that you just described, and we need to talk about this. Um, I'm really fascinated in. I, I just have so many questions in the why behind this. So yeah, the, hit me. The, there's like a short biography on your website. You and your husband Luke moved back to Omaha in 2010 and started a small bakery in um, in a coffee house downtown. I just, just from that one line, I have so many questions. <laughs> like, where did you come from? Why did you come back to Omaha? Were you planning on opening a business when you came back? Just give me the backstory, all yeah, the backstory. Yeah.
1: So I, I am from Omaha originally. I was born actually in a small town in rural Nebraska, and then moved here when I was two. So Omaha has been where I was really raised. Um, and then I went to school a thousand miles away in East Tennessee. And uh, I went with the idea that I wanted to open a coffee shop and bakery uh, from the beginning of college, which who actually graduates and sticks with their original plan, (laughs) but here I am. Uh, And then, and then we ended up coming back to Omaha. I think that when I left, uh, as a teenager, the idea was to move to Portland or Seattle or somewhere Uh in the big city. And then the further into life you get, you realize, I think Portland has enough coffee shops. (laughs) You know, I think that maybe we could move back home where, where our family's at. That was a huge part of it for us. But also just to feel like, I think that we could make a mark on the industry here in a way that we would just be a blip on the radar somewhere else. And so um, that was the initial, the initial idea. Uh, I grew up in the kitchen, I think uh, that's just always how our family connected and spent time. Um, we joke that there should actually be a couch in the kitchen in every house because mm-hmm. that's where people end up gathering anyway. So yeah. whether you're slumped against a counter or like laying on the floor, we think a couch should be a new installment in every, every residential kitchen. Um, but yeah, that's that's how my family spent time and connected. My, my grandpa was a cook during World War II in the Air Force. And uh, after he got out of the service, he actually worked at a bakery out in Gearing, Nebraska. And so, uh, yeah, he knew the the real tricks of the trade and passed those down to my mom, and then she she's still in our bakery with me every Saturday. Oh, uh, wow, making that's incredible! Cakes and running our wedding program too. So, I think the bakery piece of things was something that I felt more confident in. I, I worked at uh, Bickford Bakery before I, I purchased that bakery and and rebranded it and opened it as our own. And so, it was really important for me to get industry experience before actually opening our own business. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure this dream that I had all the way through was like, it actually matched up with reality. And so I was relieved to get a few months in and say, okay, yeah, this is still, this is still it. I still wake up every day excited to do this.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you guys originally started subleasing a space in the Aromas coffee shop downtown. Just what was, what was that like at the beginning, just opening up on the first day, those first couple months, like, especially, you know, for someone like you, that was a like a lifelong dream Mm -hmm. coming to life.
1: Yeah. I remember the first day that we, that we opened the bakery. Um, my sister who is a paramedic, like took the day off and like came to work with me that day just to do that thing together. I remember driving in before the sun even came up and it was just this like magical moment of saying, I think this is the start of this thing that we've been waiting for. Um, but it was also just a ridiculous amount of work I didn't have any employees initially I was just pretty adamant that we needed to have consistent income before we had people we were paying mm-hmm. crazy idea <laughs> um, and so yeah there were just a lot of 12 16 18 hour days where you know you're there from from before the sun comes up till after it goes down and um, my sweet husband also worked full-time during that time and then would come and wash dishes and help clean up the shop every night and then we'd wake up and do it again the next day. So Uh it was a lot of long days, but I think that uh, it just felt a lot like investment. felt like we were gearing up for what was to come and building something important.
0: It sounds like you stayed very positive throughout this whole experience, but were there ever any moments where you're just like, oh my gosh, this this is maybe a little bit more than I planned for, like on those 16-hour days or something.
1: Yeah, I think at least twice a day for the last 10 years (laughs) there's been those moments. But um, it's been so valuable to have that, uh, the why, the vision, the mission of what we want to do as a business, and then to surround yourself with people that you talk about that with out loud to remind each other when when someone's uh, frustrated or, or discouraged in the moment.
0: So at what point along the line did you really start to get confident that this was something that was taking hold? You know, you mentioned at the beginning you didn't hire employees. When did you start hiring employees? When did you say, this has legs, people like this, this is going somewhere?
1: Um, you know, I think that we just kept trying to follow the numbers and figure out when it was time to do those things. We were able to hire our first part-time person uh, when farmer's market started that year. I mm, you know, like we, we were trying really hard to make sure that the, the business was asking for employees and it wasn't just me asking for employees. And so I think that was good. Um, yeah, but uh, so I act as though it's been a, a very studious process. There's been a lot of also leaps of faith along the way too. I think um, buying the coffee shop was a huge piece of that where, I mean, literally for a year we had joked about. Someday, when we own Aroma's Coffee House, then this is what we'll do. And it was just this kind of tongue in cheek uh, dream that we had. And then one day, Jeff, the owner, came to me and said, Hey, I think that I want out. And um, I'm thinking about moving to Europe. I'm thinking about doing these things. Would you be interested in buying the coffee house? And we said, Yes. I don't know what that means, but yes. And so it went from this kind of uh, crazy harebrained joke to say, oh, this is a real possibility. Let's figure out how to actually put the resources in place and learn enough about coffee to actually be a coffee professional instead of uh, just a connoisseur of, or a customer, You customer. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So just to give people context, you guys were subleasing in Aromas for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then you were able to actually purchase a coffee shop. Yeah. So just, I'm fascinated in what you just said, like becoming a coffee expert. How does one do that? You can't just, you know, take coffee college or, well, maybe you can, I don't know. You tell me, how did you become a coffee expert?
1: Uh, I, I hired people that knew more than me. And I think that that's, that's always that smart. I continue to do, you know, I, I never want to be the lid on my organization. And so it's very important for me to, to me, to know everything about my business. Um, and I put myself through coffee school with my, with my team and all of those things, but, but I couldn't be an expert right away. So I, I hired somebody that could manage that, that had experience in the industry that could teach me. And, uh, yeah, Leslie Wells was, uh, he was in charge of that ship for a long time, quit his very comfortable job to come do that with us and, uh, just had a ton of grit and passion that, uh, yeah, he, he helped carry that coffee house side of the world until I could I could match him shoulder to shoulder.
0: So where like th- there's like this there's there's this gap in my in my timeline at least. You guys have opened two brick and mortars since then. So you have three locations. I do. What was the growth like going from purchasing aromas to where you are now?
1: Sure. Um I think perhaps the hardest transition we had was from one location to two, just because um, that's the first time you realize that you can't physically be two places at once. Mm -hmm. You know, when we had the bakery into the coffee shop, that was still at the same address. It was still at 1031 Jones Street. It was just a little further back to the coffee counter. But once we opened our location in Benson, that was in 2013, uh, that was really when we started saying, okay, how do we systematize this? How do we have good processes? How do we make sure that customers have the same type of experience regardless who's behind the counter? And so that was that was a lot of a lot of work. and uh, I feel like I hear a lot um, from other business owners or from people that are close to the industry this this phrase that they just say, you just can't find good help. You just can't find good help in the food industry or in restaurants. And that has not been my experience. Um, We have an incredible team of people that are dedicated and um, hardworking and kind. And um, that doesn't mean that we haven't had hard relationships along the way but for the most part like we've just had really good employees that uh, we learn to trust each other and mm-hmm. they understand like why things are important and how to show up every day uh, to serve our customers well and so we've gotten better at hiring we've gotten better at training we've gotten better at like sharing those expectations but I think um yeah for me it's been like identifying those people that are that are in it with us mm-hmm. and then it's a lot easier to trust them to to show up and to show up alongside each other every day.
0: Oh, I think, you know, you just hit on something that's so important that trust is just critical because I know a lot of restaurateurs and, and chefs right now who have one location and who are wildly successful, at least outside of this coronavirus right. pandemic world that we live in right now, um, but still they're very, very successful. And they're very hesitant to open a second location because it's, you know then like you mentioned you can't be in two places at once you have to trust your processes in someone else's hands and if they mess up or if they don't carry out your vision it makes you look bad so how do you train other people to adapt to your vision and i know that you said it starts with finding the right people but how do you find those people and then how do you kind of transfer your vision to them
1: um we talk about it a lot. I yeah. think that's some of it. I, I think there's times where I think, like, good grief, I've said this a million times. But it's not until people start repeating it back to you and until you say, like, oh, okay, we're all on the same page. We've said this at the beginning of every meeting we've had for the last year and a half. We've said, um, you know, I've I've typed it on Instagram twice a week for <laughs> for the last several years. You know, it's, it's being able to um, – not just have a mission statement written on a piece of paper somewhere, but to institutionalize that, to talk through it, to have it be um, a living, breathing, moving thing that you're actually striving towards. So um, maybe that's a little too poetic for this time, but I think so much of it's just about, you know, finding that vision and then saying it over and over again. Um, And to not tire of redirecting people, like when people miss the mark to to not just throw up your hands, but say, hey, this is why that's important. This is, this is the reason we do that. Uh, so it doesn't feel like I'm just telling you not to be on your phone. I'm telling you, like, when customers walk in and you're on your phone, it looks like you don't care. Mm-hmm. It looks like you're not connected. And, and it may be that you're doing something for work, but they don't know that. So how mm-hmm. do we, how do we talk through that? How do we just share expectations consistently? And to assume the best about people that they're not trying to do something wrong. It's probably just that I haven't communicated it well.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, an idea like that, is is—is that kind of, ideas like that, is that what inspired you to start doing the art and work events, which are kind of these, these kind of panel discussions that you do to help small businesses? And it's not just restaurants. There are definitely restaurants and coffee houses involved, but it's other small businesses too. Can you kind of just talk about that idea a little bit and maybe... Your vision behind using that to kind of spread good ideas?
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, my friend Ariel Panowitz and I um, started artwork, gosh, um, in November of last year, I think it's been. We've done four or five of them now. Mm-hmm. And she and I were just having coffee one day. She's a photographer and creative in the Omaha industry, um, Omaha area, and we were just talking about our own businesses and like the struggles that we were working through and the exciting things that we saw coming and just the the loneliness that can come from being in charge of something like that. Um, And so she and I were commiserating and celebrating Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, in the courtyard one day at at the Benson location. And then it was just this moment where we thought like "Um, there are so many good people doing these sorts of things in the city. We should get together we should talk about these things in the real life. And I know I'm on a podcast now, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I love podcasts. I love books on tape. I love, uh, you know, online classes. Those are all good. But there's something different about being in the same room with people where you are sharing energy and breathing the same air and talking through these same challenges that all of these small businesses are facing. And so we started that just to create a little solidarity uh, in in Omaha, and also to just learn from each other. I think so much of the time there's these shared lessons um, in different industries at the same level of small business, and so to learn from you know Secret Penguin and to learn from Yoshitomo and to like learn from people that are doing very different things, but to say, like, oh, that resonates with me, I think I can do that better uh, has been really inspiring for me. I feel like half the time I like doing events like that for like personal, personal growth. Yeah. Then you learn more. Anybody else that can show up is just a bonus.
0: (laughs) That, well, that's exactly how I feel like with this podcast. I think, you know, I I love doing it because I love just talking to people, but I learn (laughs) so much. I'm so much smarter. Well, in some ways (laughs) than I was when I started this, you know, six or seven months ago. And it's just, as long as you just have an open mind and you listen to people, you can really learn new things.
1: (laughs) And I think, as much as anything, it's just not feeling alone in it. You know, yeah, yeah. When you are isolated in the four walls of your own business, it's just um, you feel like you're the only one dealing with those problems, and as hard as everything with COVID-19 is right now. I think the thing that's a little bit refreshing is just knowing everybody's dealing with it right now. Mm -hmm. Like we are all struggling um, and, and learning and adapting as best we can. And there's something a little bit comforting knowing that we're in this together.
0: That there is kind of that weird feeling like as everyone practices social distancing, like physically we're further apart, yet we're all as humans we're all together fighting this you know this invisible enemy and yeah as business owners you guys are all fighting the same battle as well just trying to figure out how do we adapt how do we you know work on the fly to to combat this thing Mm -hmm. so yeah that that is cool just the idea of sharing ideas okay so we've done a lot of great talking about like people and culture and sharing ideas and all this stuff this is a food podcast (laughs) So let's let's talk. Let's take a quick detour and talk about food real quick. What is your favorite baked good at
1: Hardy? No oh, good grief. Um, I think I could still eat one of our cinnamon rolls every day of my life. Yep. I try not to. <laughs> I don't think that's great for your heart. But um, but yeah, I think the cinnamon rolls.
0: What is it about the coffee? That is different. Like we talked about when we talk, what's different about Hardy? We talked about the people and that is certainly, I would agree with that 100%. The culture and the people are different than you'll find at most coffee shops, but the coffee is just better. Like, is it just the grounds that you're using? Is it the process? Like yeah. what makes it special?
1: Uh, so in 2015 is when we started roasting coffee in house. And mm-hmm. so, um, We, up until that point, had been wholesaling from other really great roasters. Um, I mean, we'd used Kickapoo Coffee out of Wisconsin. We'd used Messenger Coffee out of Kansas City. But um, it felt like our customers kept asking us for things that maybe weren't available through them, you know. And so we just really wanted to bring coffee roasting in-house so that we could be more adaptable and to serve our customers better. Mm -hmm. And so we were patient with that process because, like... You can recover from a lot of bad mistakes as a as a business owner, but if a coffee house has bad coffee, that's not one that you yeah. can recover from. Like, that is very important. And so in 2015, Nick Tabor came on to our team uh, as our coffee roaster, and he helped launch uh, Hardy Coffee Company. So at the time, we were Aromas Coffee House, and we were roasting under the brand Hardy Coffee uh-huh. um, and he had roasted for five years at Beansmith in town when that was when that was a business. And so he had industry experience and um, is just wildly talented. And so we felt really excited about him coming on our team and knowing that the quality of the product was going to improve and not take any sort of steps backward. And so I feel like that, that mark on the timeline was wildly important for us when Nick came on board. And um, at the time, we were just roasting in a... 300-square-foot room at Bench, which is a woodworking shop Mm -hmm. (laughs) in north downtown up a very narrow flight of stairs. We were on the (laughs) second floor uh, with a tiny leased roaster. Uh, So we had leased it from our friends at Messenger Coffee. Um, And, yeah, I mean, you couldn't even do five pounds at a time on that size roaster. So initially it was just for our own shops, and Nick ran that thing around the clock by the time we were able to move into our new location. And so, yeah, it was We had very much outgrown it, but just made it work until our new shop was ready.
0: Do you have a personal favorite blend or one that maybe if we were trying to convince somebody to try hardy for the first time, you say, start with this one?
1: You know, um, our benchmark blend is one that is universally loved yes. by our customers. So yes. that's one where we we have a really similar flavor profile that exists in the benchmark blend throughout the year even if the actual country of origin changes on that. So right now it's out of Columbia. Um we're able to use that as a really good drip, espresso and cold brew and so it does multiple multiple things at your own home if you have an espresso machine there. Uh it's just a really comfortable cup of coffee. It's not too bright, it's not too dark. It's just it's feels like good camp and coffee yes um, it
0: does it's homey
1: it is I think my personal favorite I tend to like something a little bit uh, more lively so I like something a little lighter and brighter um, I'm loving our Peru right now um, but it it kind of the nice thing about coffee like any crop is it changes seasonally mm-hmm. and so I get to have a new favorite every every three months so.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> now one of the things that I really love about Hardy, in addition to the delicious coffee is the way that you guys kind of treat the coffee buying experience. And you have this line on your website that says, at our best, we exist to create a physical space for our community to interact. And I think so many times these days, you know, we're kind of living in an age where it's Starbucks, it's Dunkin' Donuts, it's these big coffee houses that are just kind of shuttling as many customers as they can through the drive through And you're kind of going in the opposite direction. You're encouraging people to slow down Mm -hmm. and really appreciate the experience, appreciate each other. Why is that important to you?
1: Because life is unbelievably full. (laughs) And um, so we provide excellent coffee and made-from-scratch baked goods to create rhythm in people's lives, Mm -hmm. um, to have something that's, worth tasting to have eye contact with a human to take a moment to take a deep breath and then approach the rest of your day more grounded and um and ready to do the next thing and so for us um yeah coffee is really a ritual it's not so much about um indulgence for me it never has been it's not about treating yourself it's mm-hmm. about it's about finding the the people and places and things in life that um, that create rhythm in your day and i think that that was very true before a global pandemic you yeah. know like when people had a calendar that was chock full of things that they needed to get done in a day's time and this moment that caused them to pause and take a deep breath But it's still so true and maybe even more so now when every Mm -hmm. day seems to run into the next to have um, something to look forward to and something that feels normal in the midst of uh, otherwise chaotic moments. Mm -hmm.
0: And yeah, just I want to use, again, a personal story to kind of talk about why I love that value so much is I actually I I published a book um, at the beginning of the year. And some of my favorite moments each week, my wife and I, we would have, we would designate certain evenings that we would go to Hardy and she would read a chapter of the book and we'd get coffee and then we would sit there for an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. And we would just discuss and she would, you know, proofread it and tell me, Hey, you know, maybe we could word this differently or this doesn't really make sense. Can we look at this? But it was more just like we had that space that was outside of our house where we could just go and enjoy each other, and slow down, and put our phones away, mm-hmm. and not think about other stuff. So it's not really a question. I didn't really set you <laughs> up any with anything there, but I just I no, wanted but I'm to.
1: I'm smiling very broadly. Yes, right now I over. wanted to
0: say that the atmosphere that you've tried to create, at least for us, is extremely successful because it was it was a really big blessing. So.
1: And I love it for people that are coming to spend time with each other on purpose, but I think that the other thing that our society tends to miss out on are these, like, shared spaces mm-hmm. where you can mm-hmm. meet someone accidentally. And so we love to have those sorts of experiences. Um, and it's so funny. I mean, our shops now, uh, we have a location in the Old Market, Benson, and North Omaha. And now when people think about the Benson location, they're like, oh, yeah, Benson, that's a great you know, neighborhood. It's, yeah. you know, it, But, Didn't I mean, we've be been like there that. for six years now, seven years. And I mean, that was a risky move when when we moved to that location. Um, but we thought it was so important to have physical space for the community there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same thing in North Omaha, that's really my neighborhood shop. We don't live far from there. And when you look around the neighborhood and there's not a place where people can spend time together that, um, that you might get a chance to meet your neighbors that's not in your own house like that's that's a problem that doesn't create a healthy neighborhood and so we want to be part of creating physical space for people.
0: Mhm. Now the the name Hardy Coffee that that comes partially because your maiden name is Hardy so it that is. works out well. But Hardy also it kind of defines the ethos of your business. It means bold and daring and courageous and I think those are always good adjectives to describe your business they're especially good right now in the in the heart of this pandemic that we're in I guess kind of how how has that feeling of hearty really kind of pushed you guys through what is a tough time for any business Mm -hmm. right now
1: yeah I think um We have a, a team that just has grit, people that are willing to show up and go as hard as we can for as long as we can until someone says we can't. Mm-hmm. And so um, I feel like I was I was talking to my bookkeeper this morning uh, and he just said it feels like businesses are going through these stages of grief where like the first week everybody was just like, I, you know, you're glued to the news, you're trying to figure out if you can even stay open, like everything just felt... Uh, really stacked against you, but by week two, you're trying to adapt and figure out what's happening. And by week three, you start to find a rhythm. And I think that that's where we're at. And I think in the first week, we were just trying to figure out, you know, what does shelter in place mean? If if we have that ruling come down, what does that change? How do we have plans A, B, C, D, E, and F? How do we mm-hmm. how do we prepare for what's next when we can't begin to schedule? baristas two weeks out we don't even know if we'll be open tomorrow and so it just felt really uncertain in that first week and at at one point I just said guys I own a bakery and a coffee shop and so I can't have my entire attention dedicated to whether or not we can be open like Mm -hmm. that's above my pay grade that's for the CDC that is for the World Health Organization that is for our governor like we're gonna trust them to make those decisions and we'll have plans in place so that we can follow that when and if they say so, and then we need to put our entire brain into figuring out how to create new products for our customers, how to stay relevant, and how to provide products of value uh, in this new market. And it was like at that moment that we were able to kind of click into a new gear and say, "Okay, like let's put all of our attention here instead of having half of our brain here." Mm-hmm. And since then, we've been able to to really run that direction in a way that we couldn't in the first week. Mm -hmm.
0: Now I want to talk about that new gear because I think one of the most fascinating outcomes of this whole pandemic, and it's obviously unfortunate, but it's been kind of fun to see how creative different (laughs) restaurants have gotten, whether that's doing, you know, having the chef deliver meals, Mm -hmm. you know, or creating family meals or, you know, doing, to go like pizza kits, where you make it at home, and you guys have done a couple creative things. You've started making uh, house-made chai concentrate, so people can make coffee or, excuse me, tea at home. Or you recently, in your most recent uh, newsletter, talked about like a quarantine for one package <laughs> that I thought was really cool. So maybe can you just talk about some of the some of the like creative changes and things that you guys have done to just adapt to this unfortunate situation.
1: Yeah, both of those things are pretty fun that you mentioned. Um we it's it's such an interesting process. We've thought about doing that chai concentrate for months, you know, and it's just been on the back burner and all of a sudden you say, well, <laughs> have a bit more time yeah, than we've had before, here. and we have twenty four bottles. Let's go ahead and start there and see if this thing has traction and it did, and now we can we know that that's tested and we'll we'll do more and the nice thing is that we had already done the legwork to figure out with the health department like what needs to be on the labels, how do we make sure that this is up to code So we had already done that back work and we were able just to be able to launch it, so that felt really good um I think with the quarantine, for one, like we, we have people on our team that are in self-quarantine right now. And so we think, okay, well, they might not like six cinnamon rolls to eat today. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is something that actually serves them? What adds value to them? And so trying to show up every day, not just saying, how do we make money? But how do we create a product that has value to our customers? And so I think by going through that lens instead, uh, we've been able to find some winners. Um, and not everything is... I don't know, things that we would choose to do otherwise. Yeah. Saturday is uh, the day before Easter, and we're doing uh, something called the Curbside Easter Bunny, where one of our team members <laughs> is dressed up like the Easter Bunny, and we're delivering <laughs> kits to families with with kids, with coloring pages and, and chocolate chip cookies to say, like, man, again, so much of your life is upended right now. Can we provide something that feels a little bit like rhythm? Can we provide something that feels like a tradition, even if it looks a little different this year? hmm you stay in your car, call in your order, we'll deliver it and we'll make it fun. And we'll have a reason for you to, to get out of the house, even if you're still six feet away and in your own vehicle.
0: Mm -hmm. I actually, I love that you just went in that direction because as we close out here, that's something that I wanted to, to actually thank you for. And this is something that my wife mentioned, even as I was coming in here, she, she called me and, and talked about this is just that in a world where everything feels so upside down and things are changing day by day and we just we don't know what to expect, what's next. For so many people, and I know for her, just having that routine and that sense of normalcy that while I don't know what's going to happen today, I don't know what's going to happen in an hour... I know I get my cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. I know I get my breakfast burrito, whatever it may be. Like, just having that baseline normalcy is such a big thing for so many people, and I think it's so awesome that you guys provide that.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I think we're not under any illusion that we're saving lives right now, but I think that um, we're doing what what we know how to do best and hoping to continue to add value to people's lives as we do that. Um, Yeah, it's been kind of... It's been interesting. Um, It feels so much like when we started the business right now. Like it feels so Mm -hmm. much like, okay, there's no rules anymore. Like show up today with your best ideas and we're going to put it on the whiteboard and we're going to talk through this. And uh, we say a lot, we're going to try this for a while. You know, like there, it's not, we can't plan months in advance. We're going to try something new this week and we're going to see if it has legs. Um, But I think what's so much better than when we started the business is that we have a team now. And so- There's people that we trust. There's people that can show up and help with the work. There's people that are uniquely suited to carry out different parts of whatever is needed. There's people that are the right amount of skeptical to say, yeah, but what about this? And so like, we're able to poke holes in all of my harebrained ideas before it's in the market. And we're (laughs) able to execute faster and better than I ever did on my own. So that's good.
0: That's awesome. It has been very fun to see Hardy grow over these past several years and to see how you guys have been able to to stay open and be successful despite all this craziness and hopefully it will go away shortly um do you have any recommendations for people as far as how they can get the product obviously they can still go to the shop and there's a there's a pickup window very safe i just did it this morning Thank people you. practice like social distancing very responsibly everyone was six feet behind one another but if if someone doesn't wanna go out or if they don't have a chance to get coffee, how can they get their hands on uh, Hardy's products?
1: Yeah, you can check us out on our website, hardycoffee.com. Uh, We have an online store there that we've added more products to than ever before. <laughs> so uh, we offer free Omaha delivery for coffee uh, every Wednesday and Friday. We also have baked goods that we're delivering on Tuesdays and Saturdays now. So kind of, you don't need to remember that schedule. It'll tell you on the website uh, when things are available, but that way we can provide free Omaha delivery on any of those products or we can even do curbside if you come to our highlander location
0: all right that's great well autumn thank you so much for coming on today it has been a real pleasure to have you
1: thanks so much for having me this was fun
0: yes yes it was and of course thank you to all the listeners thank you for thank you for hanging in there and sticking with me i'll keep trying to provide interesting content while you're all cooped up and self quarantined that's what i'll try and do So until next week, Omaha, thanks for eating with me.
1: A Parkville Media Production.